You're listening to Radio Rounds, a talk show created and hosted by medical students on WWSU 106.9 FM, Dayton's Right Choice. Coming up on today's show. The smoke was so strong and I knew it wasn't a healthy place to be. It was like hell. It was hot. It was smoky. It was ashy. It was muddy. It was no New York that I had ever known. No city I'd ever seen. That was Dr. Stephen Sampson, a physical medicine and rehabilitation physician in Los Angeles, California. Today, Dr. Sampson will tell us about his experiences 10 years ago when he was part of the citywide medical response at Ground Zero in the hours following the 9-11 terrorist attacks on the United States. That's just part of today's very special Season 6 premiere of Radio Rounds right now. Picking the radio round round Welcome to Radio Rounds. Welcome to Radio Rounds, everybody. My name is Avash Kalra. And I'm Lakshman Swami. We're so glad that you all could join us today, whether you're listening on the radio live, over the web, or via our iTunes podcast sometime in the future. For those of you who are new to the program, this is a brand new season. This is Radio Rounds, an entirely medical student-hosted radio show that aims to showcase the qualities of humanism and empathy in medicine. That's right. It's been a few months since we've been on the air, Lakshman, and it's great to be back to kick off season six. Radio Rounds really is a show for everyone, and we hope to provide some insight into the medical profession for not only you, the listeners, but for ourselves as well. Because as many of you know, if you've listened before, we are medical students ourselves. I'm in my fourth and final year, less than nine months away now from getting that MD degree at last. I'm applying for residencies this fall, and it's a process that I'll talk a little bit more about later in the season. Lakshman here is my classmate. He's in year number four out of a five-year dual degree MD-MBA program here at Wright State University. You know, this really feels like a throwback episode for us uh, hosting hosting like this side by side. It's been it's been a long time since, you know, season one when we started the show and we sat here just like this recording and our schedules have gotten so chaotic, so crazy all over the place. And here we are again. Yeah, it's great. It's great to be back and it's going to be a great season. Now, our main topic for today's show is the medical response on September 11, 2001 in New York City, which is 10 years ago today. When we found out that our season six premiere would air live on this date, September 11th, we knew that this would be the focus for our program. There were certainly many, many heroes on 9-11, the majority of whom will go nameless in history, but they certainly won't ever be forgotten. And that's sort of our goal for today's episode. They were the responders, the firefighters, the volunteers, and the list goes on and on. The ones who were there at Ground Zero who really started helping the nation heal from the terror and heartbreak that we all went through that day, when, of course, four planes were hijacked by terrorists who subsequently killed thousands of people in Washington, D.C., rural Pennsylvania, and, of course, uh, with those images perhaps forever in our minds in New York City when the World Trade Center towers collapsed. And I think forever is exactly the right word. I know, at least for me, I can remember exactly where I was and what happened. It was my first year of college, and the images are just burned in my head, both both seeing the news, seeing what was happening. I remember just this haze of events, all of us huddled together in blankets, watching the TV. Everyone was screaming and crying. It was just, it was, it was horrific. And I, I remember the shock that went through us all that day. Uh, I'm sure everyone listening can remember exactly where they were as well. 
That's right, Lushman, and we certainly are going to keep the victims and their families in mind today as we do our episode. Later in today's show, we'll speak with a physician in the New York City area, Dr. Jacqueline Moline, whose tireless work in the last decade has centered on the medical monitoring and treatment of World Trade Center responders on that day. She's done some remarkable work in that regard, but before we hear from Dr. Moline, we'd like to share with you a conversation that Lushman and I had recently with Dr. Stephen Sampson, who, as you heard in the show's opener today, was in New York City 10 years years ago. Dr. Sampson is a board-certified osteopathic physical medicine and rehabilitation doctor and a clinical instructor of medicine at the School of Medicine at UCLA. But on September 11, 2001, he was a fourth-year medical student just like us. We asked Dr. Sampson to start by telling us about his recollection of the events that transpired on that truly unforgettable day. I had worked the night shift in the emergency room, and I went right to sleep and then I woke up the following morning around noon and had just was bombarded with phone calls from family and friends concerned that I was okay and that the World Trade Center had uh, collapsed. And so I learned about it several hours after it had occurred. And so I went immediately to the emergency room expecting it to be completely chaotic and packed. And I found it was desolate and there wasn't a patient to be found. Uh, most of the subways and the roads had been closed, and as a result, all of the trauma was being sent downtown. So my first reaction was, as a medical student and as an American, was just to do whatever I could to help. And so I met with some police officers at the emergency room, and they offered to take me downtown to the World Trade Center area. So without any hesitation, I just decided to go down and do whatever I could. There's a certain switch, I think, that flips when you're in that situation when you can help somebody and you just really have no other rationale but to do whatever you can to help others. So I jumped down and uh, got into a van, and at record speed after living in Manhattan for several years, I couldn't believe how quickly I got down from the Bronx down to the Chelsea Pier Center, which is down closer to the Trade Center. And I just remember the flashing sirens along the way, the empty roads, and my heart was pounding, not really knowing what was ahead, but just the sense this was something I would never forget and most likely want to forget at some point in time. And so I got down to the Pier Center, and it's a recreational facility. They have golf, and it's a gym, etc. But it was turned into a warlike mash unit people would do whatever they could to help. The teams were a hodgepodge of doctors, nurses, and patients that checked themselves out of St. Vincent Hospital. There were many patients that were in there and felt that they didn't need to be there and they wanted to help, and so they volunteered and were part of our medical team. And we were divided into groups, and we were told any minute now patients are going to rush in. We could hear the sounds outside and the sirens and all the action going on outside, and we expected thousands of people rushing in, and we were told pretty drastic instructions not to resuscitate patients when they come in due to legal issues, and if somebody had passed away, to basically move on, and we just kept waiting and waiting, and after eight hours, nobody came through with the exception of an occasional fireman with an eye injury or asthma, but for the most part, it was very disheartening and disappointing that, that nobody really came through, which I think answered all our questions and concerns that there had been a lot of casualties. And so what had happened at that point 
I was walking around the vicinity and I ran into some EMS workers and they had offered an opportunity to go down to ground zero to the actual site. And once again, without hesitation, I felt that felt guilty in a sense that I couldn't help and I couldn't do anything. And unarmed with a hard hat and a short white lab coat as a medical student, I jumped in a van with some Army Reserve and EMS workers and literally went to the doorstep of Ground Zero. And I remember there was someone on a loud announcement saying, we have just confirmed the air is safe. I repeat, the air is safe, which I think also speaks to the sense that it was such an overwhelming scenario that there was no idea of the impact this would have for years to come. Just coming up on a 10-year anniversary of it, I had dug up an article that I wrote as a medical student, and it just still gives me the chills and as if it was just the other day. And I think that people feel the same way, whether they were a medical student, a doctor, just living in New York, or you know, any anyone who watched it on TV, I think it definitely conjures up some deep emotions that we'll never forget in our lifetimes. Now that it has been 10 years since uh, 9-11, what do you think of the most when you think back to that day and, and your experiences? I just think uh, how tragic it is. I, I recall certain images. I recall driving downtown and looking at these street carts that are tilted up 90 degrees and covered in ash and a city that's so vibrant was just so desolate and turned into a war zone and um, you know just the destruction i think reminds me what what we can do to each other it definitely reminds me of that can you comment on just the teamwork that you observed that day whether in the hospital itself or at ground zero well i think when when certain circumstances come upon you, there's just a, a natural human reflex reaction that occurs in many people. And anyone who was in that MASH unit experienced the same motivation, drive to do whatever we could to help one another. And it was pretty much an instant click between a breast cancer surgeon, an ear, nose, and throat doctor, multiple patients, just working together as a team, doing whatever we could. And I think my time as a medical student and rotating in different hospitals with different specialties may have helped, but I think also just being as a human being and, and wanting to help out and being available really helped more than anything. For me, someone who saw it on TV and who heard about it from you know far away in Ohio, I have such different memories almost of so much more chaos, like you described anticipating, and yet hearing your experience is, is so powerful because of how desolate it was. It really just, you know, hammers it in. Yeah, and I think it also comes back to the fact that no matter where you were during that time, it's something we'll never forget, and everyone is equally haunted and had a, a unique experience that they'll never forget. You know, I had friends that worked in Wall Street and had witnessed people jumping from buildings. And, uh, you know, I had people that were supposed to work in that building that day, and we get together and everyone would share their story. And one was no more intense than the other. They were just completely unique to where you were at the time. You mentioned that when you arrived at Ground Zero, there was the announcement that the air is clean, the air is clean. Have you read about or heard about the health effects of the responders on that day? I know a lot of research has been done in New York City about medical providers and certainly the firefighters and police department officials who were there as far as asthma and lung conditions since that day. There was a lot of unfortunate medical circumstances from it, and I think a lot of people 
uh, didn't get optimal care until it was really identified that there were certain hazards from being down there. But I just felt at one point the smoke was so strong and I knew it wasn't a healthy place to be. It was like hell. It was hot. It was smoky. It was ashy. It was muddy. It was no New York that I had ever known, no city I'd ever seen. And for someone to make that announcement, it just it, it wasn't reassuring, like, okay, I don't need this mask. You know, I made sure that I, you know, tried to find a mask or cover, but I definitely felt uh, out of place. Dr. Sampson, I'm sure that this event uh, was uh, probably the defining moment of your medical school career, especially when you look back on it now, 10 years later. What do you take with you now, the lessons from that day that perhaps you, you apply to when you see patients on a daily basis now that you are a physician? I think a couple of things I took from that day affecting me personally in my career. One was because we had eight hours of time waiting in a MASH unit, we all had discussions amongst the different physicians and our specialties and how important it is family and life and balance. And at that point, I was deciding between different specialties, between working in the emergency room, being a OBGYN, delivering babies and doing gynecologic surgery, or doing sports medicine, or what I do now is physical medicine rehabilitation. And um, it just really rang true the importance of family and balanced lifestyle, and that really became a priority for me throughout my medical school and, and internship and residency to maintain a balance which I think is one of the most important things um, that a physician can have. I think it's fairly easy to be a good doctor and be there for your patients, but I think it's it's equally as challenging, if not more, to have balance with your family and to be able to you know have time in a balanced life. And then I'd say, secondly, uh, when you connect with people at that level, dealing with life and death, you reach another level with, with patients. And although in my current practice of doing non-surgical orthopedics and sports medicine, I don't deal with life and death, but I would like to think my life experiences helps me connect with patients at a, a level much deeper than they anticipate and help facilitate their recovery. Uh, well, Dr. Sampson, really appreciate you sharing that story uh, with us, and, and I'm sure that our listeners today, 10 years later after 9-11, will, will gain a lot from, from your story. Great. Thank you so much for reaching out and sharing the story, and I hope it contributes to people's understanding of what it was like as a medical student. Again, that was Dr. Stephen Sampson. Now we'd like to share a conversation that Avash had with Dr. Jacqueline Moline, whose career as an occupational health specialist led her to work as director of the World Trade Center Medical Monitoring and Treatment Program at Mount Sinai Hospital in New York City. Avash started by asking Dr. Moline how she got involved with this project. I had actually been involved in doing respirator clearance exams in 1993 when the World Trade Center was attacked the first time when I was doing my fellowship. So we knew there was asbestos down there. We knew there were other toxicants. The fact that it was the sheer magnitude of the disaster with the fact that the two main towers fell followed by a third tower that everyone forgets about. Seven World Trade Center fell at 5 o'clock that day. So you had about 260 floors of building pulverized into three floors. You had fires that were burning. You had diesel fuel. You had jet fuel. You had building materials. You had particulates. You had asbestos. You had gases. You had dioxins. You know, the gamut of horrible, what I've called the toxic brew. 
we knew that there was potential for health effects. And we started seeing patients within the first few weeks who began to have respiratory problems, principally a cough. And this cough and these respiratory problems just were not getting better. They were often being treated for bronchitis, which they didn't have. They had reactive airways or they had new onset asthma. We saw that within the first few weeks and we began to treat patients. And then we began working with organized labor, many of whom had been sent down there, as well as our local and federal politicians to say, we need a real comprehensive program here because this isn't just a New York issue. This is really a national program, a national problem, and we need to have a comprehensive monitoring program set up to, to really see what happened after people were working down there and were exposed. What are the types of health effects we're talking about? Obviously, we, we hear a lot about the respiratory problems, and you mentioned some of them, the reactive airway disease. Just how prevalent have you seen those problems in the patients who have followed up with you through this program? Well, we know that about a quarter of them have abnormal pulmonary function tests, and that's persisted. So we have an objective measure of abnormal pulmonary function, and these are people who are in physically demanding jobs before, um, before 9-11. What we're seeing is persistent upper and lower respiratory problems. We're seeing sinus problems, nasal irritation, throat problems. We're seeing a lot of gastroesophageal reflux disease or GERD, as well as the, the PTSD and the anxiety and depression. And there has unfortunately been an increase in substance abuse, or certainly was early on. People were self-medicating themselves. So that has been the bulk of what was seen, obviously, initially, um, there were some people who had musculoskeletal problems from doing work in a dangerous construction environment in the rescue and recovery work. But the longer-lasting effects have been, and in, in about 40% of folks have some persistent symptom, whether it's upper or lower respiratory problems. Sure. And I'm wondering if you could also step back uh, a little bit from the specifics of the program and just give us some perspective what it's been like to work with so many of the uh, heroic responders on that day. You know, you've, you've gotten the opportunity really to put a face, fa- many faces to, to those names who helped on that day. What, what has that been like for you? Uh, as a physician, it's been probably the most rewarding experience that I've had. These folks were selfless and are selfless. And many of them went down there not because someone told them to go. They went down there because they felt it was their duty. They said, I have special skills. I can go down there and help. My country, my state, my city needs me right now. I will go down there. They didn't think about anything other than trying to rescue people on those first few days and the bucket brigades, and it became a mission for them. And it teaches you humility. It teaches you altruism. And it also teaches you what people can do when they come together. And as a clinician, you know, my patients that I've been caring for 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 10 years are some of the most generous, warm people you will ever meet. Their lives have been shattered. They're on disability now. They had a, you know, I have a patient who was a carpenter for 25 years. He can't be around dust anymore, so he can't work. He's got to figure out a way to support his child and, you know, and has dealt with struggle after struggle, yet he would give anything to help someone out because that's just who he is. These are the people that responded. These are the people that, you know, you want to be around. It's been humbling and it's been intensely rewarding. The fact that we're able to give back to them in a way and saying, yeah, we'll take care of this. Don't worry about what this costs. We're doing our duty to be able to be a part of getting these programs in place for folks has also been tremendously rewarding. 
Sure. And as a last question, Dr. Moline, you know, I appreciate you sharing your thoughts on people that you've worked with and the work that you've done for the monitoring program. I'm wondering now, 10 years later, what do you think of when you look back on that day 10 years ago? Is from, from your perspective, being in New York City, following the event, what, what do you think of when you look back? You know, I look back at tremendous loss. I lost a dear friend who was in, a firefighter who was in the South Tower when it collapsed. While I try to honor his memory in the work that I do and the work that I've hopefully mentored and, and supervised other people in doing and the memory of so many others, what I think about is, you know, first of all, it, it was so unnecessary for this to have happened. But I think about people coming together. I think about the line that went around the block of the whole hospital of people volunteering to give blood. I think of the bucket brigades of people who went down there to try to do whatever they could to rescue people. I think of heroism in its truest form. I think that it was a time where the best in people came out after witnessing what the worst in people can do. Dr. Moline, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. You've certainly done so much to give back to the people who gave so much 10 years ago as responders on 9-11. So I appreciate you coming on the show and sharing your perspective. Thank you. Again, that was Dr. Moline from the World Trade Center Medical Monitoring Program. Lakshman, these interviews that we've heard today are really moving and some great perspectives from both Dr. Sampson and Dr. Moline. I want to discuss them a little bit. Dr. Sampson talked about getting into the truck, going down to ground zero with his white coat and his hard hat. How do you imagine that must have been? What, how would you have approached a situation like that? You know, I think, as, as he mentioned, there was this incredible feeling of, especially when you're a fourth-year medical student, you know, you finally feel like you have some confidence that you can actually change something, to do something, to help someone. Mm-hmm. If nothing else, you have life support training. Uh, so going down there in that moment with all that enthusiasm and motivation to, to do something and help, you know, white coat and hard hat, that's just such an such a powerful image. And to go out there with all this, this drive and then coming up against the devastation of 9-11, it must have been so crushing. I can't even imagine that feeling of complete powerlessness. Mm-hmm. And, and then on the other side, you have physicians like Dr. Moline, who have worked to help those responders, those people in the hard hats and the white coats who went down there. This program that she has helped create, it was established in April of 2002. And initially, their plan was just to have it for one year, treat 6,500 patients. What they ended up doing is treat 12,000 patients over two years and 45,000 patients now over the last decade. So obviously, this program has gone on for a lot longer than they initially intended. But I would think that's pretty important. A lot of the diseases and conditions she were talking about really are chronic issues. They're not one-time things, as you can imagine from inhaling all of that junk uh, when the buildings collapse. Those are problems that don't just go away. We don't have the technology to go in there and just pull that stuff out. So they cause these you know, really long-term respiratory problems and all that that she was describing. So I think it's really important to have these equally long-term programs to monitor and treat them. We, we don't even know what might end up coming out. I mean, God forbid people might start getting all kinds of cancer and all kinds of problems because 
we just haven't dealt with something on this scale before. Mm-hmm. And I want to make the point that the way she described the people, she's in, t- in contact with these people every day for the past 10 years, which I think is just amazing. What an amazing perspective to see some of the best aspects of humanity. And to me, hearing that, that is, to me, what it means to be American. These people who just immediately dropped everything, not a second thought, to go and help. And they have all these problems afterwards, all these health problems, and they're still ready to do it again. You mentioned earlier that you were a freshman in college, so was I. It was maybe a defining moment of my college experience, and it was just a few weeks into my freshman year. And I'll never forget watching the events unfold with my freshman year roommates. Later that year, we took a bus trip down to New York City. We were going for a baseball game, but there was a moment when you turn on the highway and you see the skyline of New York City, and you're used to seeing the World Trade Center. A hush went over the bus, and everyone just looked, and we were seeing the skyline for the first time without the World Trade Center. Those same freshman year roommates and I recently visited the Museum in Washington, D.C., which is a, a beautiful building on Pennsylvania Avenue. It celebrates news and journalism, and one of their exhibits there centers on the September 11th attacks, and in particular, the news coverage from that day. Now, one part of the exhibit is an incredible video called Running Towards Danger. I think that title, and I think you'll agree, Lakshman, Running Toward Danger, really applies to the medical responders as well, the firefighters, everyone who is there on that day willing to help. But what I won't ever forget about that visit to the museum is the centerpiece of this 9-11 exhibit. It's the upper section of the 360-foot antenna mast from the World Trade Center's North Tower. It's mangled steel. It stands in the middle of this tall room in front of newspaper mounted on the wall showing front page headlines from the following morning, September 12th. And and the antenna really is a symbolic representation, I think, of strength of the journalists, of the responders at that time who helped, who brought the world ongoing news coverage of what happened. And I wanted to mention this story because it's something I learned while I was there. There's a photographer named Bill Biggert. He's actually the only journalist who died on 9-11 at Ground Zero. His camera was recovered a few days after the towers fell, with the film intact. And as a result, the final moments of his life are chronicled in these pictures. The timestamp of his final picture is at the exact moment that the second tower fell right above him. And he has the shot from below. It's the only one of its kind that must have been terrifying to take. But at the same time, it is a representation of extraordinary bravery that he and others showed on that day. And I think that's a story that's worth sharing today, 10 years later. We know that there are a lot of news broadcasts across the country and the world today. We really hope that we are able to provide you all with some extra perspective on what happened, especially from the responder side. Um, you know, of course, feel free to email us with your thoughts as well. Contact at radiorons.org is our email address. Thanks again to our guests, Dr. Stampson and Dr. Moline. Now be sure to join us next week on Radio Rounds when our special guest will be Dr. John Andrus, Deputy Director for the Pan American Health Organization. In 2000, Dr. Andrus received the Distinguished Service Medal, the highest award of the United States Public Health Service, for his leadership in working to eradicate polio in the Americas and Southeast Asia. That's next week on Radio Rounds. Check out our website, www.radiorounds.org, for all the ways you can listen. And I'm excited to say we're launching a new project for Radio Rounds called Writing Rounds this season. Writing Rounds is a place for our listeners to share their own opinions about medicine today. Last season, Phil Nile shared a piece titled, Healthcare is a Human Right. This week, Hee Wan Lee writes about the transition from 
second year academic to third year of medical school clinical medicine and getting a glimpse of reality in her piece, Not Like the Movies, My Discovery of Real World Medicine and Patient Safety Research. In the meantime, feel free to interact with us. You can email us, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. All that information is on radiorounds.org, where you can now also listen to past episodes on demand. Podcasts of all of our past episodes are also available as free downloads on iTunes. Just search the iTunes store for Radio Rounds. We'd now like to thank and credit those who made today's show possible. Production made possible in part by MedPlus Advantage. Sponsored by the American Medical Association. Providing group disability and life insurance to students and residents through participating educational institutions. Visit us at medplusadvantage.com. Radio Rounds is proudly partnered with the Student Doctor Network online at studentdoctor.net. Have questions about medical school or residency? Check out SDN Answers to view frequently asked questions or ask one of your own. Available online at studentdoctor.net. And thanks as well to our executive producer, Shami Das, our new producer on the team, Sarah Buckingham, and of course our entire team here who works hard every week to bring you new episodes of Radio Rounds. Thanks, of course, most of all to all of you listening. Of course, please remember that the views and opinions expressed on Radio Rounds are not representative of the views and opinions of the partners of Radio Rounds or of the Wright State University Boonshoft School of Medicine. Again, join us next week or download our next podcast. Definitely check out RadioRounds.org for more info. Have a great week, everyone. My name is Avash Kalra. And I'm Lakshman Swami. And one day, we'll, we'll be your doctors. doctors. Here come the Radio Welcome to Radio Rounds.